We're back. We're back. No, we're here. We're here. Hi. Hey, everyone. I'm Jonah. I'm Brad. And I'm Aaron. Yeah, Aaron's here. He's still here. He was here last week. <laughs> was, Rubber Tracks engineer Bessinelli has been in this room for a week, helping us with intros and outros. I've been in this room for way longer than a week. <laughs> I'm sure you have. What's happening with the sessions in the other room? I've, I don't yeah. care at this point. Yeah. I've lost uh, track. You've gone off track. I've gone a little off way track. Way off track. Uh, off track. I feel pretty off track. Do you? How do you feel? It's like jet lagged and I got a cold. Like, I just got back from Jamaica. The worst thing is to get a cold <laughs> when you get back from jet lag. I just yeah. got back from England, dude. I was at Abbey Road. I can't keep track of all the Dude, breads. Jamaica was three countries ago. Get two, with it. Two days ago, I was actually playing the Lady Madonna piano. Really? Yeah. Wow. I had pictures of my kids in Abbey Road. They were psyched. They like the Beatles. What's Abbey Road like for our listeners who haven't been there? It's just like it was. Is it really? It's amazing. Does it smell it's like it's from the 50s? Amazing. Do they the have 60s? a lot of Beatles it stuff out there? Like or is studio. it just like, do they have like a lot of like pictures of them there's there. pictures on the wall it's not over done. i mean yeah. there's everybody recorded there so it's like it's not just the beatles right right um and everybody still records there um but the cool thing is that physically like the live room is almost identical to what it was and like this upright piano that literally sounds like a beatles record that really? was on all the records is there and still used like it's worn through the ivory it's amazing it's awesome you can see it on my instagram what's your instagram do you know what that? <laughs> uh, just Google Google <laughs> Abbey Road piano. Also, I'm sure there's other photos of it. Couple, maybe just stop couple. trying to invade Brad's personal life. Yeah. Uh, today on the podcast, uh, we have Sammy Siegler. Mm-hmm. He played with the Beatles, I think. He did not play with the Beatles. He played he, with everybody. But he's played the with Beatles. everyone else. Um, <laughs> Sammy has played with New York hardcore luminaries such as Project X, Side by Side, Youth of Today, Judge, Siv. He also played in Glassjaw, Rival Schools, Nightmare View, Limp Biscuit, which we talk about on this podcast, yeah. <laughs> The awesome. King Left, and Head Automatica, and he also has a new band um, that we talk about on the podcast, whose name I can't remember right now, nice. but I'm sure they're awesome. And it, me and Steven just saw him play with Siv, and it was great. Yeah. Um, they played a Set Your Goals 20th anniversary show. Um. And uh, it was with Gray Area, and it was incredible. Mike Judge was there. Um, who else was there? Uh, Lou from Sick of It All sang the Can't Wait One Minute More cameo part. Yes. Yeah. I heard this was pretty amazing. It was pretty good. Um, yeah, so that was a really fun show. And, uh, yeah, we talked about Limp Bizkit. We talked about New York Hardcore drumming. Sammy actually moved to L.A. So, um, so that's cool. And he's... Doing ad work, so we talked about that. This whole deal. Super interesting guy. Um, check out his new band. They're awesome. Super interesting, super nice guy. Super interesting, super nice. Um, so yeah, let's give it up. Should we? Yeah, let's do it. Hey Sammy. Give it up. Give it up. <laughs> it's going on track. Uh today we're here with Sammy Siegler. Oh yeah, hey, how's it going? Good. Brad's here also. Hey. And I don't even I don't even know I was gonna list all the bands you were in, but it seems like it would take like the whole podcast. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot of bands. Started young, yeah, and kept on sticking with it. Yeah. When when did you start playing drums? When you were like in the womb? Um, my dad plays drums and my grandfather plays drums. So there's there's a, there's a memory of my grandfather teaching me 
mama, papa, mama, papa. And I was a double stroke role. And that started, you know, I was probably like six years old or something. And, um, and then just kind of like, I guess I kind of dabbled around with it. But when I first got in my first band, it sort of pushed me to, to get good. I was like, Hey, you're, you know, I'm in a band now and I want to be good. So I don't screw up at the next rehearsal. And it was a band called noise police that my sister, um, she knew these two guys that were older than me that went to Stuyvesant high school. And, and then later they wanted to be in the skidanks got Rocker T and this guy Alex Valenti, but we were called Noise Please. And um, so we, you know, so just doing that band like kind of got me like more into, you know, just sort of practicing, kind of getting better. And we started playing shows and, and they had, uh, we covered Agnostic Front song, Power. And that was my first sort of introduction into to hardcore and, and into punk. Okay. And then what yeah. was the first hardcore band you were in? Um, after that, kind of similar. A friend of mine knew... Um, knew Walter from Gorilla Biscuits brother, knew knew Dylan and uh and met him and um they needed a drummer so he sort of introduced me to that. So that was Gorilla Biscuits. That was like in, in nineteen eighty five. Okay. And uh started playing some shows and they eventually kicked me out because I wasn't that good. Got their <laughs> old drummer back and then I think pretty much the same friend met Jules from Side by Side on the ferry or the uh the tram thing to go to Roosevelt Island and he was a you know kind of your hardcore dude, I'm a hardcore dude, let's talk. And he's like, I got a band called Side by Side. I need a drummer. It's like my friend Sammy plays. Um, and so I started playing Side by Side. And that just kind of slowly just opened the door to the whole hardcore scene. Was it, was it, were there a lot of people playing instruments into that kind of music? Or was it kind of just like the same group of kids kind of in between each kind of band? I mean, I think for our sort of scene, like we were all friends and, and you know, that kind of sort of straight edge scene of, of those kind of youth crew bands, like there were only a few drummers, you know, maybe Luke. Um, who played in Grill Biscuits and Warzone and myself and Drew from Bold. And, you know, we just sort of would kind of um, play in a couple different bands. And I just, you know, my dad had this space where we were able to rehearse and I had a drum set. And I think that space coupled with the fact that I could play and I was just sort of easy to just whatever I was around and easy to work with. Um, I just ended up being, and we were really, you know, good friends and Priscilla and I were really tight. And, and, uh, so anytime it was like, hey, let's start a new project, I would end up sort of playing and it just kind of grew from there. But That's so cool. I mean, what, you know, I just watched that Judge documentary, yeah, which is so awesome. But what was really clear is like kind of like the dichotomy between how kind of dark Judge was and kind of how posy Gorilla Biscuits and all those other bands were. I mean, what was it like for you kind of playing in Judge, kind of going from that scene to kind of going to this band that's, they seemed like they were so different in so many ways i think i mean looking back now it, you could look at it almost like judge dark grill biscuits light Either right today middle like you know you can almost totally look at it in that way but at the time you're in it you're in the thick of it and so you know it's more of just like cool this song sounds like this one but it's a little heavier or you know like yeah didn't really think of it so much and and you know i was sort of the youngest uh kind of guy so i was just you know i was really a fan originally i mean i was a fan of youth of today like so when side by side was open for youth of today and i ended up mike left to do judge and i ended up playing in youth today like i was you know just so excited just to be in the band so um you know i i think i approached all these just as let me play the best drums i could play and have the most fun i could have and um so yeah for judge it was it was just it just it was a natural progression you know it's like let me try a double bass drum pedal let me try a China crash. And I think right. it's just where music was going. I think, um, you know, we were listening to Leeway and the Chromags and we were listening to sort of stuff that was a little bit, you know, kind of heavier and wanted to, you know, suicidal tendency was kind of changing their sound and bands were just kind of, this metal thing was sort of coming in. I think that was sort of the inspiration for, for judge. 
What was it sort of like kind of working with Mike? Because I feel like, you know, like you'd go see Grilled Biscuits and like Walter would be wearing a cape or something. Yeah. Or it could seem like kind of like there was like a lot of joking around uh-huh. and that stuff. I mean, was it really intense in Judge or did it sort of have its kind of goofy moments as well? It was, uh, you know, Mike was always intense, but kind of like a quiet, shy intense. That's what I got from it. Like I didn't get the sense that I was around this psychopath that was just kind of like bite my head off any minute. Like he was so sweet. He was my friend. He was, you know, super nice. He was just quiet, a little... You know, um, Ray Capo was like, whatever, we were like pulling pranks on each other. You know what I mean? Writing on each other while we were sleeping. Mike, you just didn't do that with him, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, so he was just intense. I mean, it, Judge was, you know, looking back, Judge was a pretty bizarre mix of people. I mean, it just sort of worked that way. I mean, Purcell and Mike started as a project. Uh, they needed a band. It just kind of happened. I, w- I ended up playing drums after I think Luke played a show and Drew played a show and then I played drums and, and then I got my friend Matt Pincus to play in the bass, uh, to play bass in the band. And then we wanted a second guitar player. So we got Lars and it just ended up being kind of pieced together. And not that we weren't all friends, but we just came from different sort of, uh, little sub cultures of, of the scene, you know? What? I'm, so- I'm sorry if you talked about yeah. this a million times, but what was it like when you first heard those chunking mixes? Um, it's weird. I look back at that because it's it's a little bit foggy. Like I was talking to Bruce about this the other day because Youth of Today actually recorded a chunking, and it wasn't good. We recorded the We're Not Alone record. Oh really? And I was trying to just think of the timing. Like if if Youth Today recorded and it wasn't good, why did we go back and do it with Judge? <laughs> and I'm pretty sure Gorilla Biscuits went there and started Start Today there and scrapped it and then brought that to Don Fury. So I don't know what the hell we were all thinking. I think that chunking at the time. You know, we just associated with like Beastie Boys, Slayer, big records, you know, just like, and it meant like a step up and it's time, you know, we're going to step it up too. Right. So we sort of went for it. We didn't really have that much money. So they were giving us these like interns and they were giving us like the night shift. So we would go in there at midnight and track from, you know, midnight till seven in the morning, eight in the morning. Um, You know, and just crazy looking back. I mean, an engineer one day said, and you know, hey, uh, I lost your snare drum. This was on the Today record. He goes, I, I, you know, or no, the snare drum just, did, I didn't mic it properly or something. It doesn't sound good. I need you to overdub the snare drum. So I was sitting in a room, it's like 15 years old, and I got headphones on my head, and I'm literally just, list, no click track, just listening to it, just like. <laughs> and of course, it's, you know, it's a train wreck. It sounds awful. <laughs> another time, he, another guy was like, and they kept switching, the engineers would switch. So I was like, hey, I lost the floor tom. Um, I don't know what? where it is. You know, oh my God. Just comical crazy stuff so brad so, you're gonna lose your mind listening what, to it do you have a copy so, i know the story so, but what year was this i'm gonna say 89 okay 1989 right. um so that was uh 89 and then i think you know we, we tracked it and we were really bummed and and uh you know the story went so all George- these bands had worked with don probably don fury we worked with don and we love don and yeah. don's great and but i think that you know, funky we, little studio. We, you know, and looking back, like the, I think the, what did he have? A qu- quarter, a two inch, or one inch? When he had the tape, I think the sound. And he had like a one inch machine, and then he went he to went to the eight ads. Yeah, and that, you know, it did the job, but it, it didn't sound as good as the tape. Yeah. But again, I think we were just sort of like, you know, seeing these records coming out chunking and thinking, hey, we could do that, you know, yeah. or we should be doing that. And um, it's just a. Gr- I mean, this story, it's so, uh, it's so frustrating, but it's a great story for people in who are learning to record because like, you know, you go from, I mean, Don's studio where where he just turned out all these amazing records, you know, he had like two little DBX compressors and like, yeah, I remember what the board was. He just didn't have that much gear, but you know, he made these great records and then you go into Chung King, which is this world-class studio 
but you've got these fuck ups that fuck up. You know, it doesn't right. matter how good the studio is. I was just, I just you don't have talent, man. You know, like working for you. Yeah, you're fucked. I have this new kind of this new hardcore project that I'm working on, and uh, we just recorded. And I was thinking when we were mixing, I was like, I wish. I was like, it should have this delay, like you, you, you. And I was just visioning Don's blue delay <laughs> effect rack thing, which was like one of like the which two. Like the one yeah, the one had. thing he had. And I was like, we gotta, we gotta get that blue thing that goes you, 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 you. Is is it surreal to sort of be talking like kind of as an adult about these bands you're in when you were fourteen, fifteen, and people still? Because I was in a lot of bands when I was fifteen. No one cares about them. Yeah. Like, is it is it crazy to kind of? I like that. I just keep staying. You know current i try i try and just keep moving forward so i don't mind going back and talking about it and you know we're and again like i'm you know i was as much a fan of a lot of these bands i mean i was really just thankful and happy i got to play in it and i felt like I, I was part of it and and this and that and left my mark but um so i'm happy to celebrate you know glass jaw and youth today and all these bands and talk about it and and revisit it because it's it's just cool like i still listen to it it's cool stuff and um but it's also important for me to just keep I think moving forward. Totally. You know? I, it's funny because, you know, my band, Daryl kind of started out working with us a little bit mm-hmm. and I actually got, have gotten mistaken for Daryl before, clearly by people who have no idea what he looks like. Uh-huh, okay. Some dude came up to me after a United Nations show. I was like, you're such a big influence on me. And I was like, oh, this guy really likes my writing. This is amazing. He's like, can I get a picture? I was like, yeah. He's like, you know, like your lyrics in glass jar are so amazing. That's so wild. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, you know, Ray and Walter both been on here and they sort of have both talked about kind of doing doing yoga and that kind of stuff in the East Village kind of in like the 90s and stuff. Did they ever try to get you into that? Um, not so much yoga, but Hare Krishna. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, Norman, Norman's been on here too. Yeah, I mean, I've uh, like another, just looking back how crazy it was, moment was uh, Shelter. I was playing drums in Shelter and um, and I ended up booking this tour for some reason. I got the whole list of like the phone number list from uh, this guy, Doug Heron, who's a booking agent. And I booked a tour. It was Shelter, Quicksand, and Inside Out going from New York to Minneapolis and back over the course of three weeks. And uh, we traveled, like Shelter traveled in this like Winnebago that had this Maharaj, who's like the grand poobah of the whole thing, in this, um, this Winnebago. And then there was like a school bus filled with all these Krishnas. And there was a van with Inside Out and some of, and me and Purcell, because I think Purcell was sort of on the fence too at the time of Krishna. But like, little by little, you know, Ray would just, Ray was sort of the camp counselor and he would say, okay, uh, you know, we're leaving at two o'clock or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, Sammy, you're going to ride in the uh, Winnebago with the Maharaj. And I was like, okay. So next, you know, it's like a 12 hour ride and I'm sitting here with this, you know, and I'm like 16 years old and he's just like, you know, breaking me down. Like, what are you, you know, what are you going to do in your next life? And I'm just like, what? You know, like, I just want to be in the van hanging out with those guys making jokes. But it was, no, I mean, it was really cool to be exposed to that. And um, Ray in particular was just a really influential guy. So I think he just, not like he was trying, but he just, you know, if he was into yoga, he's going to tell you about it. If he's into, right. you know, Krishna, he's going to tell you about it. If he's into, you know, being a vegetarian or whatever it was. And, and he was, he's a great guy. He's super influential. First time I saw them was, that, do you remember when they were at Better Than a Thousand, that Rev Tour's like Better Than a Thousand, Battery someone else and i bought krishna beats from him and i bought he had like a self-help like cd yeah and that, i he's like make a make a change journal make, get your make a change notebook <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I totally remember. giving you like recipes i mean he was ahead of his time he was totally. like on some like martha stewart shit you know yeah. just like really um yeah it uh i think for him like 
you know, there's some things that worked. There's obviously some things that didn't, but you got to try it. I, and, you know, he was, he doesn't have that same sort of filter process. I think that some of the other guys have, Yeah. you know, um, so he just put stuff out there, which is cool. He's, you know, he's doing well. Was he always like the stuff that dude can do with his body is so insane. I mean, could he, I know he did that on stage a lot too. I mean, could he always just jump into like handstands and all that crazy stuff? He, you know, I played in a sort of a more recent version of Youth Today and he was doing sort of newer, cooler stuff. He was doing these handstands yeah. and stuff that he did not do in the past. I mean, in the past he would just jump and fly and, and just, you know, um, so he's always been like, you know, fit and, and, uh, able to do crazy stuff but but really just his like ability to kind of just i think work a crowd especially in any setting you know i i've realized that kind of with playing other bands and you play a show that's maybe not that crowd or not that good and it's kind of a dud and you're bummed out but you know capo would like turn any show there'd be you know you'd be in europe and there'd be like f whatever 15 like just drunk you know squatters yelling at you and he would just turn into a great show somehow yeah that's amazing yeah this is freaking me out because brad is remotely using this computer oh that's wild <laughs> This is happening. <laughs> this is happening. It's a podcast. What is a pod? We're in a pod in a little bit. Yeah, this feels, yeah, this this podcast is definitely like overkill for audio quality. Yeah. But it's good. I'm, you sound amazing, I'm, I'm sure. I'm feeling good right now. Yeah, you it's look nice. good, I'm using into way. it. Coffee's starting to settle. You, um, you live in California now? I live in California, but I'm, uh, and it's been great, although I'm, the past month I've been having a f little bit of a freak out of what the hell am I doing? Should I come back to New York? Should I not? So, but it's how, been fun. How long have you been out there for? Uh, about three years. Okay. Cause I yeah. remember I felt like I used to run into you once in a while. Yeah. And then yeah. I live in Venice okay. and, um, some guys started tagging like ST, like the suicidal tendency thing recently around Venice. And that was kind of getting me psyched a little bit. Cause I was in Venice and I was seeing suicidal ten yeah. you know, tendency tags, <laughs> um, some V13 tags around just nice. stuff like that. But it's wild. I mean, I never, I'm, you know, moved out with my wife and my daughter. I've never lived anywhere else. I mean, I've obviously toured and gotten to travel, but um, I grew up in, in Lower Manhattan and I was, I've always lived here. I never thought I was going to leave. So it's, I'm, you know, I'm proud that we did it. Yeah. We made the jump and we'll see where the, the future lands. Do you, do you just play drums full time? No. So the thing that brought me out there was an old friend of mine uh, works at this sort of advertising place and they do some music stuff and it's a little more mainstream. And he was just like, dude, you, you got a job if you want it. And that was, you know being a freelance drummer guy my whole life, not many people were sort of offering me jobs like that. I was thinking, oh shit, you mean like, you know, paycheck and health insurance and all this fun stuff. Yeah. So kind of gave that a shot and I'm still doing that. It's, uh, it's cool, you know, peaks and valleys, I think. That, and even, you know, even when I wasn't doing that, I mean, the other life is sort of peaks and valleys as well. So you just kind of, you know, you take, you, you just, it's all an experience, but uh, it's cool. It's really throws me into a different world. We do a lot of like shooting bands and content but super mainstream stuff a lot of country stuff so i'm kind of thrown into this weird world of like having to know about country pop which is just a crazy scene in itself yeah i'm sure i just came from nashville at the cma fest and saw like way no too way. many country bands it was very bizarre is it i mean do people ever sort of like recognize you like yeah i mean i, I had to go to arkansas for this one meeting and i was kind of like a little just nervous about it. i didn't know what to expect and i met this guy who's really cool from Universal Records down there. And he was just like, hey, I used to follow, I used to be the regional rep for rival schools for Universal, you know, when we were on Island. And I followed you guys around in my station wagon hanging up posters. And it was just a cool, like, totally, you know, icebreaker moment. Um, icebreaker, is that the term? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I was going to say deal breaker. It was icebreaker. <laughs> we broke the ice. Is it is it weird, like, going into an office or is it you just kind of get used to you it? You know, there is some flexibility, so it is cool. I don't know if I could do the full-blown office deal. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm, I, I get a little flexibility with it, but um, 
the first, you know, the first year or two was kind of fun. I was like, this is cool. I got a meeting, like I got, right. a, you know, a calendar, I got a thing, like people, bells are going off, whistles are happening. But, um, you know, you just moderation, I think is the key. I feel like it's also like the grass is always greener. So, cause I've worked, I've been freelance for like 10 years. And whenever I go to someone's like, whenever I go to vice or someone like these offices are so cool. Right. Like you guys are having so much fun. It's yeah, such great. I want to work awesome here. Coffee machine. Yeah. Like this seems like, right. But then I feel like if I was there, I'd be like, oh, I could be sitting in my robe and my underwear. It's home. a real grass, always greener yeah. thing going on. Um, for sure. The, uh, where the hell was I going to say? I had a good point, but yeah, it is. Um, no, it's a, it's a trip. So what's what what kind of project? Oh, are you I was going to say. Sorry, oh, yeah. I remembered. Um, what's cool about hardcore to bring it back here to the the judge, the Michael Judge, um, is that right around the time when I started this job, and I was like, okay, fuck, I got a job now. This is weird. Sort of un, you know, new 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 uh, uncharted waters here. Um, judge got back together, and we started playing. We did that show at the the B and B Black and Blue Fest, and it was right around the same time. And so it's cool because I'm able to to jump into Judge World a lot and that balances this out so it's sort of i feel like hardcore has kind of come to sort of you know help me out a little bit which has been uh nice what do you think was more unexpected for you working in ad agency in california or judge getting back together They're both pretty fucking bizarre <laughs> the whole thing is really i mean if you said hey you know yeah before this happened that I, I wouldn't have expected any of this stuff but uh yeah the judge thing was was totally unexpected but um you know we worked hard at it. we made a lot of rehearsals i was flying back to new york a lot and just trying to get it good and uh i think that first that b&b weekend was pretty epic and then we just you know been having fun ever since how was the um la thing with the screening and the that was cool show? yeah so the documentary was um you know trevor i don't know if you know you know at uh at noisy and vice you know he's a a friend and an old hardcore dude and he basically i think he you know he started he filmed our rehearsal before B&B and there was talk of doing a doc and it never happened. And then my friend that I work with, who's a talented, uh, you know, camera producer guy, uh, you know, he came and shot our show in, in California, he came to our show in Berlin and we had this footage and it's like, shit, let's do this documentary. And Trevor was down to do it. And it was supposed to be a 10 minute piece. So you sit down and do an interview with Mike and he's like, he talks like this brother, like, yeah, for like six hours. So we, and he's great, but, um, got all these interviews and realized that, okay, we need to do like a part two and then ended up being a part three and a part four and ended up being this like 50 minute, you know, feature documentary thing. So, um, so that was cool. So we did the screening in New York, Nighthawk Theater. I'd never been there before. It's great. Place is cool, right? Theater, yeah. Yeah. Um, Fred hosted that or something? Uh, Tony Rettman was our a moderator okay. and Walter like stood up and asked about six questions. It was pretty funny. <laughs> great questions too. Um, That's so funny. Yeah. Purcell didn't see him because the light was in his face. Purcell's like, you in the back. The question is Walter. It's like, oh shit, it's Walter. <laughs> but, uh, and then we did this one in California. We played, um, and we played a small set and it was, it was good. That's awesome. Yeah. So what, what's, can you talk a little bit about the band you're doing now? Yeah. It's, um, another sort of unexpected thing. Like, it's not like, yeah, I'm gonna move to California and work at this average and start a brand new hardcore band. You know, like that wasn't really what I was thinking, but, um, Andrew who plays in Strife called me up and said, you know, Hey Scott, Vogel from Terror wants to do something. And uh, so basically, it's the guy from Strife, it's the guy from Terror, me from my bands, Arthur from Grilled Biscuits, and the guy from The Who. What guy from The Who? The guy from The Who's in it. No way. He's the tour manager for The Who. So I just, I wanted to say it's the guy from The Who. Yeah. Now, this guy, Joe Garlop, who tour manages The Who and a bunch of other bands. He's That's a good guy. That's wild. Yeah. So we recruited Arthur, Scott Vogel, 
um, Andrew and myself. And we basically was like, you know, let's try it. Let's write some songs. We wrote three or four songs. We got together again, wrote three or four songs. We had like 20 songs, went and tracked 16 tunes. And I think it's going to come out probably in October, I think on Revelation. Nice. And uh, it's just, you know, a solid hardcore record. I mean, it was, we were trying to make something kind of light and fun. And I think it... I think we're aiming for Gorilla Biscuits and kind of landed in this sort of minor thready world a little bit. Or, um, but yeah, you have to check it out. What? Uh, I think we're called? calling it uh, World Be Free. Okay. You know that basketball player that was on the Cavs, I think? Oh, the, yeah. Yeah. World Be Free. I know. I was just in Cleveland. I just got back from there yesterday. And I'm from Cleveland originally. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was there for a wedding. And yeah, it's, it's so crazy there during this, this Cavs series. Right. I'm psyched for him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, so is that hard? Because I know Arthur's out here. Is it kind of spread out, the band? It, we we were all out in California except for Arthur. It's really okay. interesting. Like I was, you know, I had a hard time. It's like, okay, this song's really good. We need a sick bass player. And I didn't really know anyone that was available around out in California. I just kept thinking about Arthur and, and we just flew him out and, you know, it just was worth it because he's, I think it's the highest compliment you could pay to a musician. It's just like, dude, you've got this sound that like, I don't yeah. know. To me, there's only a handful of people that can play hardcore with a f- certain finesse. Um, and Arthur's definitely one of those dudes. And you could hear it on the recordings. It just went from, like, I think what could have been somewhat generic riffs to, like, he just fills it out and does a, a lot of cool stuff. And I used to see so many Scott, growing up in Cleveland, you know, Scott was from Buffalo. So I see yeah. his old bands like Slugfest, Despair. Yeah. Like, but, like, he was using some really cool bands growing up. I've always known him, but I never spent this much time with him. He's a crazy motherfucker they're all nuts we're all crazy the whole band is fucking nuts <laughs> that's so awesome um so we were talking about before this and i i feel like it, i have to bring up this limpisca thing oh yeah because LB. i didn't really i feel like i kind of forgot about it i got paid in nookies <laughs> uh i was planning you know, so we could date it back you know glass jaw i met ross robinson and we became friends he was the producer and he did, you know, Slipknot and At The Drive. Right. He did the first Limp Bizkit and the first Corn. So he had that kind of connection. Or maybe the second, one of the Limp Bizkit or something. But anyway, I was out, um, I don't know when it was, like 10 years ago or something maybe. And I was doing, I don't do a lot of session stuff, but I was doing a sesh, a sessione <laughs> um, out in California with, um, with a band called A Static Lullaby. Okay, I remember that. And then at the time, you know, Ross called, Ross and I were talking, and he said, hey, you know, since you're out in California, what do you think about the LB? And I was like, what the hell is the LB? He goes, Limp Biscuit. They're looking for a drummer. They want to make a heavy record. Their drummer is, like, not in the picture right now. Um, do you want to jam? And so I, like, sure, you know? Like, I've always kind of had that attitude of just, like, yeah, let's see what this adventure brings us. Right. And um, I jammed with them, and... Was this, like, West Borland era? And West was back in the band. Okay. So it was going to be badass, and Fred... Uh, Fred said, oh shit, man, you were in youth today? I said, yeah. He goes, I saw Gigi Allen once. I said, cool, man. That was a pretty amazing thing. But um, he was actually really cool. And we ended up going up to Northern California, this place called The Site, where Pearl Jam recorded 10. And we had like two chefs and we stayed in this really nice house. And, you know, I had two drum sets set up. We were demoing one and recording the other. And we wrote a song a day. And um, we made this record that I was sounding really good. I think the finished product did not come out that good, though. But it's called The Unquestionable Truth Part 1. Okay. And the part two never came out. And it basically... Uh, and that was my experience. It was about a month of, of writing and, and, and recording. Did you play shows with him or not? No. There was a minute where I was in the band. <laughs> and uh, Fred took me out and said... Welcome to the LB, brother. Give me a big hug. <laughs> and the next day I was kicked out. <laughs> I said, so real, so hard, so life. Hard shit. 
Um, but they're all really good dudes. I mean, they're, and bass player's awesome, and Lethal's, a, you know, it had a lot. I thought it had potential. I mean, you know, Lethal as a DJ pulls from cool shit. Like, he pulls from good, he, you know, Public Enemy, and that's just like he's old school and gets the, the influences, and Wes is talented. Um, but yeah, it just sort of, I don't know. It, that was my experience with it. It's, it's going to be in my book that I'm writing, Jonah. Yeah. Do you want to know the name of it? Yes. From Biscuit to Bizkit. <laughs> It's going to be sick. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting to talk about a band like that because I feel like there's so many of these kind of musical trends kind of happened over like whatever, like like grunge, like whatever, new metal, all this stuff. And it feels like you and this bubble of people have kind of like been in your own world in a way and people always kind of care what you guys are doing, but it's never been like a trendy thing. I mean, do you feel like you've kind of had this kind of weird existence as far as like playing music goes? Uh, I think I follow you, like in the sense that in the sense that like we were always in our little world of so it's nice to branch out. I think as a maybe maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but like as a hardcore dude, like it's interesting when you kind of get to jump into these other worlds. So kind of like when Civ was around in the '90s, and we would open up for No Doubt, right? And you're kind of just like a voyeur, like holy shit, this is this world. Like people do this. There's buses. There's places this big. There's like techs, and you know just to see that like is just kind of interesting. And then when you get an opportunity to play music with people that are sort of out of that world, you know, it's cool. It's just an experience. It makes me respect, you know, we have in hardcore, I think we have like a language, like a musical language kind of thing. And so when I do play hardcore, like this world be free project, you know, or I get to play with Walter or dudes that I play with my whole life, like we're quick, you know, we are playing in judge now. It's like we, there's references that we know and it's, there's like sort of this musical language, but when you play, you know, in the, in the LB and you're doing the nookie, <laughs> It's a different scene. <laughs> it's, you a gotta, diff- yeah. it's a different language. You gotta set your goals, I guess. You gotta set your goals, man. What? Can't I, wait women anymore. <laughs> what was kind of the, that era? Because I remember growing up in that vi- that video being on MTV all the time. Can, yeah. Yeah, that With was Lou wild. And like that whole weird talk show set. Yeah, and I think that's also like what, you know, also kept me excited about music was just that it just kept changing. You know, it wasn't like, yeah, let's play, you know, I've been playing music, what, for, I don't know, if, uh, yeah, whatever, like 28 years or something. It's not like I've been playing CBGBs on Sundays for 28 years. Like, right. just the fact that you get to do these things. Um, so in the 90s when, you know, Green Day and Offspring were selling millions of records and labels were just like, yeah, let's throw money at this. We were able to kind of just have a different experience. And so, yeah, we made that video. Marco Siega made it. We made it for like no money. Um, on a weekend and uh, sure was all your friends in it and yeah. stuff and it was just uh, and then there was a time when Buzz Clips really meant something on MTV I guess and, and, and they were playing it and we did like three warp tours and you know just sort of had a lot of uh, yeah it was a while that was a really interesting time what's sure. interesting too is like maybe not Civ so much but like so ma- we were talking about this we had Jessica Hopper on the podcast and she was talking about like the B-52s and how all these bands that had the weirdest songs would become like hits. Yeah. Like Love Shack or something. Yeah. I mean, I guess I Can't Wait One Minute More is, is a great song, but it's like... It's, it's a simple... It's, you know, I think it's a thing... It's the easiest song. I think that like the riff is super easy. Like anyone could play it. I right. Mean, it's one of those things that you just kind of keep it simple and maybe the it makes more sense to the, to the masses, I guess. But, uh, you know, Walter wrote a lot of that, you know, Set Your Goals. And, and it's... Um, he's good. And it's... And, yeah. You know, it's catchy. It's a good, like, can't wait a minute more. Kind of apply it to a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> Find yourself saying it a lot. Um, but yeah, the 
the songs that I I don't know that we got to figure that out. Well, how do we make songs that? How that, do we do it? How do we do it? We got to work on that. <laughs> we got to get Walter. songs that stick. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's interesting. The Nookie. <laughs> we played at South by with um, Walter's Vanishing Light. Yep, Life. Yeah, Life. Yeah. yeah. Excuse me. I always get that messed up. Um, and they were so they were so awesome. Yeah. And then I just saw Dead Heaven. I feel like he's another dude who just always has like eighteen. I was just listening to these Rival Schools demos we had like third what well, we kind of got together write like a, a third record which we never did and um just like man these are good like we got to spend some time and work on these but you know he just he can do that he can bang them out and uh you know it's it's uh it's cool there's also i feel like there's so much mystique with you guys like i do feel like all those bands like everyone's like there is another record like we just have demos of it or something mm-hmm. like i feel like you could be like here's a judge record that we recorded like then just forgot to tell people mm-hmm. about the lost lost record yeah yeah, I've got a vault of stuff in storage that I uh, I need to get to. That's got some stuff in it, some some just more like photos and stuff, yeah. and, and demos and rehearsals and stuff. But, Have uh, you ever thought about doing like a book or like some kind of retrospective type? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think I was always the guy. Siv used to make fun of me that I would just lock stuff in the vault, you know, and just kind of you know we'd be I take a poster and just put it in the vault and take a thing and you know tour laminates and all this stuff. So I I, I you know I have a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, for sure, it'd be cool if if there was a you know, uh, an opportunity, I guess, that presented itself. But uh, yeah. yeah, a lot of photos. I mean, there's certain people from that scene that definitely, I know like BJ Pappas was a photographer around a lot back then, took great photos. And um, so, yeah, I don't know, maybe one of these days I'll put it together. That's awesome. I mean, what's it like? I haven't been over to Europe in a long time, but they really love hardcore over there. Mm-hmm. What are the kind of what's what are the shows like over there? I mean, are they crazier than they are here? Or is it just like a different vibe? It's cool to see it kind of. I felt like I, I was able to see it kind of move around the globe a little bit. Like uh, I remember going to Europe in 80, uh, 80, 1989 with Youth Today, and it was like you know, straight edge was kind of happening in Belgium for some reason, but nowhere else. It was very like just punk and very mixed. It was cool skinheads, punks, you know, hardcore all mixed together, and then you just saw it kind of little by little started, you know, kind of happen to the point where there is a, you know, a big scene, like you're saying. And then I remember seeing in Japan was the same thing of, say if you go to Japan, it wasn't, there wasn't really a hardcore scene. And then little by little, like just more and more bands, you know, and now it's obviously, it's global. I mean, I've supposedly the shows in Southeast Asia are amazing. Um, Australia, South America is insane. So it's, uh, it's a global thing, but Europe is just, you know, they've always had that festival mentality, I think in Europe and they, they, they've been on that for a while. So if you plug hardcore into that, you get like a, a sick, sick ass hardcore show. Yeah. You know, you have a, you know, you're playing, um, gross rock, you know, in front of whatever, 10,000 hardcore kids or something. So it's, it's cool. That's wild. And they were also, you know, looking back to, I mean, the whole squat culture was always so, um, it was so different than I experienced in the States. And it was just really cool looking back to them. It was really organized. These people just kind of took over a building, but they would, and they'd plug into the electric, you know, electricity illegally, but you'd show up and they'd make you this full, like vegan, you know, meal before vegan was, was hot and happening. Right. And, um, and then have bunks. Some of them were like, you know, full rooms for bands to stay in. And the sound systems were sometimes really good. And the shows were sometimes amazing. So that was, you know, I think they just got a good, uh, they have good roots in that sense. Yeah, I, my old band did like a five week tour over there. Yeah, and it was like I felt like the food spread. They give us so much beer. Like it was yeah. amazing. Yeah, totally. What? Um, this might be kind of a weird question, but I feel like 
all of your bands have been like a lot of your, have been super innovative but i feel like hardcore as a genre to an extent can be kind of formulaic it's like you have like kind of like the fast part kind of like the same kind of like breakdowns like the drum beat i mean mm-hmm. how i feel like if you get too outside that it almost isn't hardcore but if you just kind of follow that formula it kind of sounds like a million other bands how do you sort of play with kind of push the limits of that well i'm maybe I'm not articulating I mean, I, this no i i mean i think with punk and hardcore you know there's no rules it's punk it's hardcore get get together with your friends start a band say some fucking real shit from the heart and it's hardcore you know i mean like in that's like but from the specific world that i come from in the hardcore scene or whatever youth crew new york kind of movement thing that i was part of um there is yeah like a real specific kind of I think like, you know, there's certain beats that I pull from, you know, there's your, you know, that beat and there's your, you know, you're just boom, boom, you know, just certain things and doing this world be free project that I'm doing now, this hardcore thing, it was just, you know, I wanted to make sure that we touched on all those points. Like, let's do a song that's just all mosh, you know, let's do a song that's fast part mosh. We did one song, there's no mosh part. I played it for Walter and he's just like, what? No mosh part? Like, what, what what are you thinking, man? Like, I fucked (laughs) up, like I screwed up the formula. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's, you know, it's, it's cool. I was thinking about doing actually like a a sort of drummer type documentary piece thing about the thrash beat, you know, and just how different people approach it. I mean, Mackie, you know, plays with the Chromax and stuff is such a badass and he's got his, you know, the way he plays that, you know, it's like, it's insane, but I play different and, you know, whatever, Chuck Biscuits and just like different people and Bill Stevenson, just how they kind of approach the hardcore beat, the fast thrash beat that's a cool idea yeah because it's just you know it's it's the same beat but it's the nuances make it different yeah i mean i even remember growing up like hearing bold and being like this is way too progressive for me like yeah what they, they what they with the guitars and stuff was so intricate yeah well yeah more so on the ep that yeah. EP was kind of it was tom capone was like really brought that kind of chops metal influence Long Island kid, Long Island kids just get good because they just sit in their basement, just fucking practice and shred. Um, yeah, the, it's it is it's cool to look back at the way Luke plays and the way Drew plays and just you know Petey Hines and all these dudes, you know, and uh, Earl obviously from the Bad Brains and just you know different people approach it differently. It's it's cool. Who were some sort of the guys that you kind of pulled from when you were sort of starting out? I mean, was it a lot of your peers? There was, or a, com- was it- a I think there was a little like comp- healthy competition between Luke and Drew and myself. So we'd see each other at the Anthrax for a show and be like, "Fuck, Drew just did this fill. It's cool. I got to learn that, or you know, come up with something different or better." And I think Luke and, at least in my mind, that was kind of going on. And then guys like Mackie and Petey Hines were sort of in this like older, like a little older than us, but just and better, and kind of respected those guys and wanted to like. Um, just get better, and so I, I think I'd kind of look look up to them. And but you know, I was you know my dad played, so he exposed me to a lot of stuff. You know, I was exposed to jazz and to funk, and and uh, he got into Brazilian music and to samba, and that I think really helped me play because I'd always liked Stuart Copeland from the Police, and I think he's from like Morocco or something originally. And sure. um, but obviously the Police has like this reggae influence, and so and jazz but it's rock and he's got like you know he plays on top of the beat which is important to me and uh so just being exposed approaching hardcore with that stuff in my arsenal was kind of i think sort of set put me in my little world as far as uh you know just playing with dynamics and playing with you know um just trying to you know get different sounds out of the drums and and maybe try and approach from like a more musical place because that you know 
I loved hardcore and punk, but I started as a drummer, as a musician, and I like playing, you know, music. Yeah. Did you, were you big into metal growing up too, or not so much? Not so much, really. I kind of was into um, Kiss, Mega Kiss Army. Okay. Fan, dude. And then like kind of got into this Devo Blondie thing, which sort of, I get, you know, that was sort of a gateway into, uh, you know, Devo and Blondie, and then kind of stumbled into The Clash and, and kind of Sex Pistols and went through an exploited like GBH world kind of phase and and then uh just kind of all over the place when i was yeah like 10 11 years old um matt pinkus who plays bass in judge is an old friend of mine i met him when i was like 10 i was 10 he was 11 i ran into him at school and i went up to him i said hey man are you punk rock he said yeah i'm punk rock and we were punk rock together but so you know just sort of um evolved yeah i just saw uh three nights ago i saw bad religion yeah um but I got confused. So they were doing all 20th century songs one night and all 21st century songs oh, the next wow. night. Yeah. So it's the 21st century night and I didn't know any. I was like, oh, I like some like newer, like Bad Religion, like The Grey Race, Stranger in Fiction. My friend was like, dude, those all came out in the 90s. Uh-huh. <laughs> but the show is still I'm a bad, cool. I'm kind of a Bad Religion poser for, I just, I kind of missed the boat. I, I mean, I know him obviously and, and good guys and cool band. I just never like really delved into it since they're the dude from the i guess greg hudson isn't in the band anymore yeah. but oh he's not no oh, i guess okay. he left a couple of years ago was the dude from the cult and yeah and brian baker i mean it's like insane yeah. but yeah the newer stuff is actually pretty 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 cool yeah but yeah they've been a band for 35 years it's so wild yeah brian baker's i mean even just thinking of like minor threat uh and this world be free project was like listening to this new project i'm doing listening to minor threat and trying to just kind of get in that world a little bit and they're so cool just i don't know if it's the way they obviously the way they played it but just yeah. the way it was recorded and just you know i was doing different things like going to the ride symbol on a mosh part where i normally wouldn't you know just kind of rock on the hi-hat or something but jeff nelson kind of does these like ride symbol things that i was trying to i did a little bit of that just to, to pull from it so it's funny yeah i feel like we've ta- i was like who because i remember asking you about people caring about your bands or your teenagers I was like who did we talk about this with and lyle's been on the podcast a bunch of times Wow. And because he's an old friend of Steven's. Yeah. And uh, yeah, That's cool. like we talked about a lot of the same stuff. Yeah. I had a weird, um, just talking bands and music, a weird chapter was I played a show with Patti Smith. Once, really? Playing drums for Patti Smith. It was a bizarre How did that come afternoon. About? It was this kid I went to high school with, this kid Oliver was like Patti's um, lover or something. And I lived on McDougal Street and they lived on McDougal Street. So I would see them all the time. And, uh, one day, like, Oliver hit me up, just like, and I would just always, you know, hi, kept it real casual, Patty was kind of quiet, and, you know, but always nice and stuff, and, uh, and then one day, he was just like, hey, our drummer's out of town, we got this show, like, do you want to play it? I was like, okay, you know, and I, and again, I didn't really, I wasn't a huge Patty Smith fan either, so I didn't really know, like, the sort of, how cool it was and all that, but, uh, we rehearsed once or twice, of course, like, they knew if some, if you're in that world of Patty Smith, I guess you get access to just like secret ninja stuff that we were walking on Worcester street and we dipped into some like secret studio that I never knew existed. Yeah. That was gorgeous and really nice and rehearsed. Um, but I remember the morning we played a show as a benefit. We played over at Washington Irving high school and it was a benefit. And that morning we were all kind of scrambling to get together and get the gear. And Oliver picked me up in his car and he's like, we're going to go pick up Lenny, the guitar player at his place on St. Mark's place. I was like, cool. This is exciting. We're doing it. Um, and this guy, and Lenny, comes down and he's got is it an oud i think is the instrument it's like a guitar but the neck kind of bends okay and he's like check out my oud man like i bought it in like india and it's like a hand whittled fucking oud really cool 
And I was like, this is cool. It's what happened to do it. And Oliver goes around to shut his door and shuts his door on the Ood and the Ood snaps in half. Oh, and man. now I'm like, this is fucked up. Things are getting awkward. Uh, but he was cool. He's like, oh, that's okay, man. Don't worry about it, Oliver. And then we ended up going to the show and played that night. And, um, you know, that was one of those ones I'd like to take back if the, a do-over, if you could do it. I don't yeah. think I was bad, but I just approached it as like a hardcore drummer. I think I was just playing too loud and too aggressive and I should have just chilled the hell out and, you know, played Become the Night because the night belongs to lovers. <laughs> it was, and, uh, yeah, it was bizarre. Do you think that's something that's kind of comes with time too, like knowing when to kind of amp it up and when to kind of lay back? Or do you It feel- comes with, yes, comes with maturity, I think. I, you know, young me... Looking back at Judge, like I was like, I got three rack times, I got a splash, I got a double bass drum pedal, I got a china crash, you know, all these things. And like, you know, the the attitude, you know, the attitude back then, I think, was any opportunity you had to throw a fill in, do it, you know. So just try and throw as many fills in as possible. And I think there's a lot to be said for you know, uh, less is more, and just kind of and being subtle. And so I think I, for me, it comes, with, you know, came with um, with being an old timer. Yeah. No, it's cool. I mean, playing Judge now, I feel like we sound better. And it's just, I just really try and keep it simple and solid. Yeah. You know, and just when I do a fill, make it really just precise. And, and uh, I think there's, you know, but yeah, it, it came with time a little bit. Do you think Judge will do more kind of touring or is it scheduling? I'm sure. I feel like as adults, like doing everything is like a hundred times more. We follow Gorilla Biscuits lead. Whatever they yeah. do, we're going to do. Okay. Because they do it right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they for me, they were like a big influence on what, like, man, okay, Grill Biscuits is doing it and it's good and it's cool and it's not cheesy and it's, you know, people are psyched on it. And so that was a big, in my mind, like, okay, Judge could do it too if we, as long as we sound good. And, and so I don't know. I, I mean, it's not going to go on forever. We talked about writing a song or two, but just, it's got to be good, you know, right. you know, especially now, like you don't want to put out a half, like anything that's mediocre. So, um, you know, maybe do some sort of a release. Uh, I think the documentary was sort of cool to give it, you know, just the whole thing a little more sort of steam. And I think, you know, it just kind of maybe creates a little more awareness about the band for people that didn't know about it or so. Um, but yeah, just, we kind of take it, take it as it comes. Yeah. I thought the documentary was so cool because yeah, I always listen to judge, but it, it was such a mysterious band and yeah, yeah. And all those rumors about Mike, like I totally like, yeah, Mike's a truck driver, Mike's living in some yeah. Like I, I learned a lot about it doing it too. I mean, I was just like, shit, I never knew this about him. Yeah. You know? But he, uh, he's great. He's, you know, he's having so much fun with this judge thing. Like the, he, when we were all doing, you know, youth today and, and the, that sort of youth crew, hardcore scene kind of stopped, whatever, in 90, 91 or something. Like um, for us, you know, we all kept on doing other bands. You know, Walter did Quicksand and we did Civ and all this stuff and Mike didn't. And so I think that really bummed him out. He could see in the dock. Um, so the fact that he's able to, you know, he was just like in Seattle for his first time. The other day we played a show in Seattle. He's never, been, we played a show in Berlin. He's never been in Berlin before. And so he's just like, a, in a way, he's like a giddy kid. You know, he's just excited. And um, it's cool to see. It's cool to see him experience it. That's awesome. I mean, do you listen to a lot of newer bands or do you mostly listen to older stuff? Or what are you listening to when you're just like hanging out? Um... As far as hardcore, not too much newer stuff. I'm open to it. I just never really, I don't know, just have the time where people turn. I was in a car and someone played Turnstile and I was like, this is cool. I need to buy this record and check it out because this looks, this sounds pretty cool. So, uh, and then as far, yeah, just other bands. I mean, it's such a single driven world these days. I feel like I'm listening to just like songs and to the point where I can barely remember who the artist is. It's like, that's a cool song. It's a cool song. It's a cool song. Um, 
you know, Tame Impala is cool. They're doing some cool stuff. I'm, of course, I, I never can remember what I'm asked this question of what I'm listening to. <laughs> I'm the uh, same way. But, you know, it's, it kind of, I don't know. Music's in such a weird place. I mean, I stream stuff at home and then I've got this iPod that I loaded like 10 years ago that has the same songs on it. So in a way I'm still listening to like Caius and like Ween and the same stuff that I kind of always listen to, I guess. But, uh, but I try and discover new stuff, you know, um, out in California, there's KCRW and that's very dreamy. Everything's very just nice. Right. Listening to KCRW. Do you ever get nostalgic for like, I don't know, like just like going into the record store and you're like, oh, there's like 10 records I can buy. This is it. Like, I feel like I get so overwhelmed now that it kind of almost like I shut down sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I loved as a kid, I think I would get like a $10 allowance or something and I would go to Secondhand Rose on 6th Avenue and 14th Street and buy a record pretty much a kiss record until i had all the kiss records but then i buy other records um but that was so insanely special i mean i would just flip out that was the big deal and go home and listen to it yeah and now that's and that's definitely not around i got my dad kind of gave me his record collection at one point it's a shitload of records and so i've just sort of kind of stopped buying records around then because i figured i just got to delve into this thing it's a lot of jazz and, oh, nice. and uh you know i have a love-hate relationship with with vinyl you know, I obviously love it, but it's like I've moved a few times. Having to carry it around sucks. Yeah, I lost some gems in a flood in my basement, some hardcore gems, oh, no which really sucks too. And then that's actually, I ended up selling a bunch after that because I was like, you know what? Let me just like, I don't know. These are rare. Kids want them. I could make some money off of doubles and triples that I have and they might get destroyed if totally. I hold on to them. Let me just sort of put them out there in the world again and, and kind of pass them on. I don't really need this test pressing. Um but I, I have, you know, I still have some some good stuff for sure. Yeah, it's always wild to me when people are like paying like hundred dollars for some T-shirt. And like, I feel that happens all. I guess like as more time goes on, that stuff gets more and more. Yeah, I was like in a little bit of panic mode before when I had my daughter and before I had my my steady job. I was yeah, like, shit, I need to figure something out here. <laughs> That's cool that you could do that, though. I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. It was a crazy week, I, a month. I'd never eBayed before. And all of a sudden, I'm just getting these emails like, you know, this and this is happening and eBay and bidding and thing. I'm like, what do you do? What do you... I know. I'm, people are like, can you ship this to German? I'm like, I get... I don't know. Can I? Mm-hmm. Was it... Does that going to take a really long time? Right. I, yeah, I don't... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, how does it work? <laughs> so right now, you're sort of focusing on the, on, um, on the new band... Just works yeah, out. I think it's Judge. Uh, Judge is playing. Um, we're going to Europe in August. Uh, Siv is playing Riot Fest in September. Oh, really? Which is cool. Siv kind of plays occasionally. So just sort of uh, doing that. And this and World Be Free, this this new band, is uh, it's coming out in October. I mean, everyone's sort of busy in their own lives, so we've got to find a time to kind of play some shows. But I'm psyched to put it out there. That's awesome. I, I'm almost done, but I had a really quick question. Yeah. The, so Walter wrote a lot of... The first Civ record. Yeah. And then there was a second record. Yeah. Walter was not involved in that one? No, he was touring a lot. You know, I think he was, what was he doing at the time? He was touring a lot and was busy, coupled with the fact that I think we wanted to write a little bit ourselves too. And Uh just, we started writing some songs and uh, it's not that Walter wasn't welcome. It just didn't kind of come together like in that sort of natural way that set your goals came together. Um, so we started writing some songs and you know, I wrote some lyrics and Charlie wrote some lyrics and Siv wrote some lyrics. And I think, you know, we were just really excited about that, that process. And, and, uh, but at the same time, like looking back, you know, we, 
it was like major label land. You know, they were kind of throwing a lot of money at it. We had some big name producers. We just got off tour with No Doubt and a bunch of Warp tours playing with a whole bunch of different bands. And we were influenced by a lot of different stuff, I think, at that time. And I think the, the, you know, we were trying to make sort of like a kind of jam clash type record. And I, I just, it's a little, I don't know, it's an interesting record. I mean, I think we, we all love it. It has a place in our hearts, but it's a little bit all over the place. Uh, but it's, you know, it was a fun experience. We're up to, to Bearsville and recorded it. And um, Walter wrote the last song on the record, I think. Okay. Little Man. Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing you guys on Warp Tour. When, I remember like Siv calling everyone up on stage for maybe Choices Made or something. Around the, the, that record? The yeah, 13 Getaway record? Or? I think so. We had a keyboard player. We had, he was playing percussion. We were in a crazy place. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, yeah. And you still keep in touch with a lot of those guys? Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. definitely. Um, yeah, they're great. I'm psyched to play. Uh, this Riot Fest thing should be fun. What's your second to be like? You still figuring it out? I think for the most part, the time we just played it, we played in Brazil recently, which was cool. We, uh, Gorilla Biscuits played one night and Judge played the next night. And then we realized that basically we have Civ and Project X there with all the members. So Project X played a few, or whatever, we only have like four songs. So we played some songs and then Civ played. And uh, it's pretty much set your goals. I think we play Shout It. I think we played Haven't Been Myself in a While off 13 Day Getaway. Um, but for the most part, it's, 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 you know, set your goals. Were you in Project X also? Yeah, man. Gee, I homework, told dude. you I can't keep track. Dude, I can only Come retain on. so much. I was the youth. I, I was the youth. Purcell was Slam. Alex was Kid Hard. And then Walter was ND. And we told him that it stood for no drugs or no diving, like stage diving. And, and he was like, yeah, that's cool. But really it meant not dedicated. Because he was always <laughs> late. He would be late. He'd forget his bass. Um, so it was, and he was ND. Is it true that you guys... Project X played Cleveland twice? Maybe. Okay. I don't know. I, Sounds about right. Yeah. I think we played a pizza place. Um, we played Cleveland a lot. Yeah. I remember growing up hearing a lot of stories from like Confront and all those guys about like Project X. I remember seeing like Judge playing. There's just certain pockets, you know, yeah. for, I'm sure every band has got their own, you know, version of this, but I think for us, like Cleveland, Huntington Beach, California, Rome, uh, there was just certain pockets where like around the world where just kids were like, there were scenes that were just a little more, you know, just cool people. We were friends, you know, that we made that we're still friends with today. And, and, uh, you know, we'd stay at their houses and, you know, Cleveland was like Kelly and, uh, just a lot of folks, all those bands. Um, I think youth of today played Cleveland three times on the We're Not This Alone tour in 88. So a two month tour, we played Cleveland three times. No way. Yeah. That's a, they're actually doing a documentary about Cleveland hardcore. It's called I saw Destroy the, Cleveland. Yeah. yeah. I saw the trailer. It's cool. Yeah. Um, there was a judge show, I think that like we played with integrity and they didn't get paid and we took the, the soundboard, I think I remember something like that happened. I don't know. There's so many stories like yeah. that. I feel like I remember youth of today playing in Cleveland and we were in like prank mode and we went, I think I was on Ray's team, Ray Capo's team, I think. And we got laxatives and we put it in Cypress cells, fruit juice, you know, things like that. <laughs> Were you were you with those guys when they got in their bus accident? No, okay. knock on wood. I've avoided a lot of those in my all the touring. I mean, a couple like flat tires and blowouts that could have been pretty bad. Um, Youth of today on the Wednesday Salon tour, the back axle snapped in half in Junction, Texas, and we we're stuck in Junction for uh, for three days. That Whoa. was pretty sketchy and weird. But uh, but no, yeah, Shelter got into a bad accident. 
for yeah. sure. Yeah. He told that whole story in this podcast where he went to a psychic and she kept telling him that looking at his hand and there was going to be a bad accident. Yeah. And it kept happening and then years later it happened. And yeah. I got to go to a psychic, man. I got to go too. I, I always kind of thought they were bullshit until I talked to Ray. And then I was like, I feel like when you're talking to him, you're like, well, this guy seems like he knows more yeah. than me. He'll do anything he says. I'll do it, Ray. Whatever you want. <laughs> Jump off. I mean, yeah, I was, he was, he's powerful. Yeah. We went cliff diving in Walla Walla, Washington off this like 60 foot cliff. It was crazy. And like, uh, Walter would, Walter would kind of get looped into it more than I would, or maybe he had more balls than I did because I would always just chicken out. And, but, uh, you know, there was that, there was a half pipe at this kid's house, same trip, Walla Walla, Washington. He had this huge half pipe and Ray and Purcell were like dropping in and I'd never, I was a street skater. I never dropped him before. And, and Walter, it was like the big competition was who's going to drop in first, me or Walter. And like Ray, it was just driving us crazy about it, you know, getting our goats. And Walter did it. He dropped in and it was like, yeah, he's the, you know, he's better than me. He's a champ, whatever. And he went back to do it again. They're like, you gotta do it again. You gotta do it quickly. Just while what's in you. So, okay, okay. Jumps back up, snaps his ankle in half. He had a purple mohawk at the time and he snapped his ankle in half. And, uh, he, this was really crazy. Actually, he ended up staying at this kid's house, I think for like a week or two. And then he went home and, uh, Ray ended up playing bass at the next show. Ray Capo, the singer ended up playing bass. Okay. And Steve Reddy, who was our roadie, ended up singing. So it was youth of today with Steve Reddy singing. Really? Yeah, I remember and one kid yelled out like, let the bass player sing, let the bass player sing. And then Ray ended up uh, singing again. And then Luke, who was also on tour with us, uh, just kind of knew how to play bass, learned the songs real quick. And Luke ended up finishing the tour. That's wild. I never knew about that. Yeah, it was crazy. Crazy times. Crazy times. It'll be in the book from, uh, from Biscuit to Bizkit. Look for it soon, right? Yeah, chapter 34. <laughs> Hey. Hey. Welcome back. Um, earlier in the intro, I was talking about Sammy's new band, and I couldn't you remember couldn't the remember? name, and he just texted me, and the name of the band is World Be Free. But he didn't just, I mean, he texted you out of the blue. Yeah. That's the crazy thing. He's texting thing. me about something. I'm not trying to brag. Me and Sam are kind of friends. <laughs> <laughs> but I it's mean, just funny that you were talking about him, and then he couldn't remember. Me. I mean, would I say more friends or like peers? That's a tough question, because, you know, I guess we're both yeah, kind of pretty but, influential. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, Sam is, we text each other. It's not a big deal. Uh, but yeah, his band is called World Be Free. And if Sammy's in it, you know, it's awesome. Uh, watching, me and Steven were saying when we saw Sib the other night, watching Sammy play drums, is, it's, he's so good. Yeah. And so, you know, like. That's those, why he's in a lot of bands. That's why he's in every band. But it's like one of those things where it's like you watch someone that's like so good where it's like so effortless. Yeah. And he's playing just like these crazy beats and just like looks like he's not even trying. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah. So, um, if you want to start a hardcore band, try to get Sammy, but, you know. Good luck. Good luck. He's busy. Or try to be like Sammy. Try to be like Sammy. Yeah. But you're going to have to start when you're, I think he started playing in, like, your hardcore bands when he was, like, 12. Yeah. So, if you're older than 12, you got some catching up to yeah, do. you're screwed. <laughs> totally screwed. And I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably older than 12. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what our demo is. No idea. <laughs> I'm assuming it's, like... 20s and 30s more than you hope i don't know though i would assume yeah right assume nothing if you're 12 and you listen to this podcast wow you rule dude you're, you're fucking cool. awesome you should start playing drums <laughs> or start doing something you should learn a trade like drugs <laughs> 
Yeah, we need more tradesmen in this. You should like, 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 you should learn how to like cook or like masonry, masonry, or yeah. build stuff. Right. Like, you should find something you're interested in, and then just keep doing it. And then when you're an adult, you'll be really good at it, and you won't be like 36 being like, "What am I doing with my life?" It's <laughs> a good point. Yeah, not that I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about myself, <laughs> but anyways, it always comes back around. Always yeah. comes back around to me talking about myself. <laughs> um, if you enjoyed this podcast with Sammy Siegler. Um, Donate a dollar to us to help pay for our server costs. Uh, Goingofftrack.com, there's a donate button. Or a thousand. Or a thousand. You could also donate a thousand dollars. We'd be embarrassed, but we would accept it. We'd accept it. <laughs> you could probably write it. Do you think you could write that off on your taxes? Like as like a charitable donation? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> write it off. Get into a lower tax bracket. There you go. Um, or you could just idea. give the money to the government from the waste on dumb shit and wars. You can also... <laughs> Go to iTunes and leave us a comment or a review. Um, don't talk about how Steven's a tool or I'm too Williamsburg for you. That <laughs> review still makes me so angry. I, I enjoy those reviews. Yeah, because it's a, <laughs> sorry you hate this free thing that we do. It must be so hard for you. Um, anyways, yeah, or leave us a snarky review so that makes you feel better about your own life. <laughs> So what does that say about you? I'm sure my attitude would change if somebody said those nasty things No, me. The only thing that anyone says about Brad is like, I love Brad's laugh. Or like, it's always something just super nice. And then it's like, you know, like, Jonah's so Williamsburg, I can't even listen to this. It's like, dude, what are you talking about? You're a rock star, baby. You're at the top. That's why they throw rocks at you. Well, <laughs> I, st- I still... I still hurt Brad. <laughs> I'm not infallible. Just because I'm friends with Sammy doesn't mean I don't feel pain. Yeah. They Just better watch out, though, now that they know what who your it? friends are. I know. I'm going to see if I can get Fred Durst to <laughs> do something about that. Um, well, he's actually probably gotten more rocks thrown at him than yeah. boulders. Yeah. Oof. Anyways, uh, you can also come to Converse Rubber Tracks and have your band record here if if you're in a cool band. So... <laughs> I feel like I is there like carbon monoxide being pumped in this room? I feel like I'm like can't even it's talk anymore. Your, it's your, I've I've been doing a lot of podcasts today, so I feel like I've been talking for like five I think hours. You're really contact, this. Uh, you know, from it's like a contact high from me from my just like jet lag. Cold yeah, is jet lag plays. contagious? Yes. I think so. Yeah. So you feel jet lag? Now? I feel jet lag now. Yeah. Geez. Okay. Um. So I think Aaron, do you have anything to add? No, I, I'm. I'm so happy. So this has been episode, I think, 177. Yeah, baby. Wow. The big 177. Congratulations. Fantastic. Congratulations to us. I mean, I'm not going to do this at the end of the podcast. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next Wednesday. Peace. <laughs>